Welcome everyone to season three, episode 87 of the Premier Pod. I'm your host, Yash Pika, joined by my co-host, Tyler Chan. In this episode, we'll be discussing the Champions League and Europa League final and a couple transfer updates from Chelsea and Arsenal. And just in general, just a general update about where we are, um, where we kind of see our goals and our plans for the upcoming Premier League season. But to get things started, talking about the Champions League final that happened last night. So we're recording this on Monday. Champions League final happened on Sunday. I actually didn't get to watch this live. I went on a hike to kind of get away from everything and just relax a little bit. So I had to rewatch the entire Champions League final on replay. And most of the time, whenever I miss a game live, I'll tend to just go go to YouTube and watch the highlights because it's kind of hard to block out two hours worth of time, especially when you're working full time and stuff like that. But for this game, you know, I was really looking forward to this game. So I, I just basically made the effort of just watching it on replay. And to be honest, I know what I told Tyler kind of roasted me. He was just like, you should have just watched it on the highlights on YouTube. And <laughs> I agree with him on that point. Um, but I will say just a couple of things I took away from this game. Uh, first of all, Kingsley Coleman. Oh, my goodness. I, I, I think everyone knew how good of a player he is. But this game, I mean, he just went off. He just went off. He had that right back for PSG. I think his name is Carer or Career. Yeah, <laughs> um, He just had him on skates the entire time. I mean, he was all over the place. I think um, it's, it's funny. I will say this for Kingsley Coleman. I think he oftentimes uh, doesn't get the love I feel like he deserves. I think he's such a good player, but uh, when he's in that Bayern team surrounded by all those, you know, those talented players, he kind of gets under, you know, a bit of shadow is put on him. And then with the French national team, all the talk is about Dembele, Pogba, Griezmann. uh, And then Coleman is kind of the guy that's just in and out of the lineup, you know, but credits to Coleman. I think he really went off and I think he deserved it, but Tyler, I know you, uh, you, you, you circled Coleman in our group chat, but you also had Alfonso Davies, the Canadian. Mm-hmm. And before I get into that, I have to say kudos to you, Yush, for managing to not have the game <laughs> spoiled for you before yeah, watching tough. the entire replay. Because <laughs> literally, any time this happens, especially a final for a Champions League final, it's the hardest thing not to open social media, open a text, and it's like. Oh, what a game! Or oh, that was a kind of a meh kind of final. And this I one, know. in my opinion, was kind of a meh kind of final. It was. It, it was, was a, and it, it was, was wild because I man. couldn't even before I even watched the the replay of the final. I couldn't check Instagram, Twitter, none of my social medias, and also I couldn't check YouTube because I was afraid on YouTube I would get a reaction page of like, oh my gosh, the highlights of the game and the score would be on there. So I didn't even check YouTube. So I was basically off social media the entire day yesterday before i could watch this final <laughs> i probably should have told you it's like this one's a highlight one mate <laughs> i know it's a final but oh boy but yeah, i mean i i would say when if you did watch this whole game which you did you get to see the whole kind of breakdown of why psg just they could have won at times but it's just like they just couldn't finish it's just i don't I know. know what's happening but before we go into that for Kingsley Coman and Alfonso Davies, they're just tearing up the PSG right side. Like the makeshift right back here. He just could not stop Coman. Coman, he came on as a starter as opposed to Ivan Perisic, which was a little surprising to me at the start when I saw that lineup. And Perisic has been the starter for the last couple games, even in the semifinal. And I was thinking, oh, he's been tearing it up. 
and mm-hmm. he was he's not afraid to shoot either so i was thinking all right he's definitely going to be one of like the main starters but kings of the Coban coming on and getting that pace and i think that was a big game changer because kara couldn't couldn't keep up with him he just kept dancing around him doing all these drill moves he basically pulled a neymar-esque kind of performance as opposed to Neymar on the other side of the pitch, he couldn't mm-hmm. do his, he couldn't show up. It, it was as <laughs> if he wasn't even there. I literally joked to some of my friends, I was like, man, once Neymar gets subbed onto the pitch, it'd be a whole different game. But <laughs> he literally, he was supposed <laughs> to turn up that game. We gave him a lot of praise going into this final two that if he's going to be one of the best players of all time in that conversation, he has to, you know, show up in these kind of games and really put the team on his back if the Goman gets tough. And when it did get tough, especially in later parts of the game, he looked really just distraught. He just really didn't look like he was up for it. He just looked defeated the entire game, at mm-hmm. least for the later parts. But when you look at, like, say, Kingsley Coman and Alfonso Davies, they were in it to win it. Alfonso Davies especially, he just had this this kind of swagger about him where he just didn't he had he didn't really care. He just had like ice in his veins. He didn't it didn't look like he knew he was in a final at times where the the certain passes he would do that were just so high risk at times. I was like, oh my, I don't know about that kind of fast, but he would get away with a lot of things. And then Mm -hmm. because of his pace and just because of just his pure confidence. So he basically shut down that whole left side and Angel Di Maria just couldn't get past him. Mm -hmm. So it's just that whole side of Kingsley Coman and Alfonso Davies was just insane. Serge Gnabry didn't really have too much of a great game, but that other side, it was just cheese. (laughs) Yeah, I was really hyping up Gnabry because I really like the way Dabry plays as a player and I thought he was going to have a big big say in the final but as you said he was the guy on the opposite side of the wing Kingsley Coman I will say um there is a petition that's been put out by BR Football um basically with Robert Lewandowski because uh, as we know the Ballon d'Or ceremony and the award got canceled this year because of corona and you know the league's not being able to finish their league and you know as Nathan said oddly enough Ballon d'Or is given by the French association correct it was like the french newspaper association or something like that yeah something like that um and it doesn't it probably makes sense because ligon and everything was canceled so then maybe they, that's why they canceled ballon the ballon d'or and everything but there is a huge petition going around trying to get La- robert Lewandowski his dues and getting him the ballon d'or he deserves because this man has had an incredible season i mean he almost scored uh, a, a fantastic goal this game was was wasn't it like a volley he just yeah it was like he a half turn volley cro- or hit the post yeah, and he had Navar's he had Kaylor Navas just rooted to the spot. So I don't know. We we talked about this before, but I think Robert Lewandowski definitely deserved the Ballon d'Or this year. And it's unfortunate and it's likely that he probably won't get it, but ah, oh, it, it would be so nice to see another player that's not Messi or Ronaldo really get this award. And to be fair, Robert Lewandowski this year put up Messi and Ronaldo numbers. This is mm-hmm. these are the numbers Messi and Ronaldo consistently put up, but Robert Lewandowski did it this year and he won the Champions League and he won a treble with Bayern. So, it's a little unfortunate to see that he's not being awarded with the best individual player award that is get in uh European football. Mm-hmm. And especially after seeing PSG lose in the Champions League final, that's the French are definitely not going to have the yeah. Ballon d'Or. It's like, oh, mate. Don't and give it to the German that destroyed yeah, us. Yeah, just <laughs> give it to the Germans or the <laughs> Polish man. But that's also a shame because there's also, you know, the 
the Young Player of the Year award. Was it the Golden Boy award? Oh, the Golden, yeah, the Golden Boy. Yeah, that definitely right. I feel like would have gone to Alfonso Davies, the 19 year old Canadian Ghanaian who played yes. in the MLS just not too long ago as a winger. Actually, he was. Mm-hmm. For the Vancouver Whitecaps, a left wing. He was a like center attacking mid. And that too, yeah, is a center attacking mid. He basically did not play left back or defense at all. He was just very attacking. And then he got converted to left back and now was in the Champions League final for Bayern Munich and won the yeah. game. It's, that's insane. What an insane story. And, and I got to give props to Alfonso Davies. He's one of my you know favorite players to look at now. And he's... Geez, he's younger than both of us. <laughs> 19 his years story, old. Yeah, his story is pretty cool. I, I can't remember the exact specifics of it, but you can go on social media and his there's so many social media accounts that post about his story. But it's wild because he joined uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps, I believe, as a youth, youth player and kind of progressed through the ranks, got promoted to the senior team. Um I think he was one of the youngest goal scorers in in the MLS history, then moved over to the Bundesliga and won a trophy with with Bayern Munich in his first season. And then this season wins the Champions League. So he's had an incredible type of uh, trajectory. And I will say this, for someone that has been playing in the attacking side of the field for pretty much all of his career at in the MLS as well, it, it shows that he's pretty a pretty intelligent player. Uh, player when it comes to on the pitch performance because he's able to just go to the left back position and obviously that's down to training but it does take a good brain to figure out where you are where you need to be on the field and you know he has a lot of pace obviously everyone knows the amount of pace he has but you can't just rely on your pace all the time as a defender you kind of need to know um, where to be positionally to uh, defend the defense set pieces and also just to defend the winger so you know kudos to Alfonso Davies the MLS product Mm-hmm. Man, he's going to be such a threat because even seeing this Champions League run where he was able to basically destroy Nelson Semedo's career going up that left wing, but also yep. stop Angel Di Maria in a Champions League final as a left back. That's that's incredible. And mm-hmm. at age of 19, already doing things like this, that's he's going to be Same. like Trent Alexander-Arnold level in terms of just the best fullback on that side. I hate yeah, to say he's, even he's pretty much he's even pretty over much like Robertson. Trent, oh. Yeah, he's pretty much Trent Alexander Arnold on the left wing. And just like Trent Alexander Arnold, are we sure fullback is his best position? Because <laughs> it seems like maybe as he gets a little bit older, he could kind of just take over one of the wing positions. And it seems like with with uh Trent, that could be the same position for Liverpool, where as he gets a little bit older, maybe he can just take over the right wing or the midfield position just because mm. of how technically talented they are. But that's obviously that's a hey, whole what other, if conver- yeah, it's a, a whole it's other good- podcast. Yeah, <laughs> a whole, a whole other podcast episode. But I will, but, I want to mention you mentioned mm-hmm. this with Leon Goretzka. It was weird. All right, so if you notice how big Leon Goretzka was at the end of the Champions League, um, when they had uh, basically the winners' medals and everything, there was a bunch of pictures of Leon Goretzka's his muscles. This dude is huge, and I will want to point this out. Leor Sane, who also joined Bayern Munich um, during this Corona time. He also got very big as well. So I don't know what they're doing in Germany right now, but a lot of the players are getting huge. And it's pretty much, he's he went through the Adama Traore, Traore transformation. transformation. So all of a sudden, we're going to see Alfonso Davies looking like Todd Gurley next season at this rate. Dude, I need what they are getting. What What is this? this they have the secret sauce. It literally took just a few months. Uh, like Leon Goretzka looked like... 
you know, he wasn't skinny, but he he was just like, you know, average. He looked like Kai Havertz almost. Yeah, literally like Kai Havertz. Like his, he had like a more lean build from just mm-hmm. looking at him. But yeah, then now I always, it's like. I always thought about that. I was like, remember, whenever I've seen Leon Gretzka before, I was like, dude, this guy is kind of just like a lean guy. I never pictured him being kind of a muscular dude, but he's gotten really big. He he reminds me of uh, our our former Reed Reed soccer uh, star center back Nick, <laughs> who <laughs> just came out of nowhere and just had like the biggest build of all time. It's like where does this come from? So I think <laughs> whatever they're doing is it's it's insane. But geez, Leon Goretzka, if you haven't looked him up, he's if you look at him from 2018 to 2019 and then 2020, it's it looks like. One of those insane transformations. It's like, what the heck? And he takes a lot of pictures now, kind of showing off his physique. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard to miss. Yeah. But it, before it, we go too far, I wanted to also mention the other side um, for PSG in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, we're saying all these things about all these Bayern Munich players going off. But then on the other side with PSG, their star men, their star men are just like, they're not, what is happening over there? Yeah, I, I, I feel like it might be down to a little bit of them not having much football to play since Ligo got canceled while the Bundesliga came back. So they got to get some games in them while in quarantine. But like yeah. for PSG, they literally just had Champions League. Yeah, I, I, w- I will say this. I think um, I, I don't know. I feel like maybe the pressure got to those players, especially Di Maria, uh, Mbappe and Neymar. I would say Neymar and Di Maria, especially because a lot of people will say they kind of went there for the money and the pay raise. Uh, you could basically say that for every PSG player at this point. But Mbappe, that's kind of his hometown club. It makes sense that he went there. Um, but I, I don't know. I kind of felt like the pressure got to Di Maria. He he scuffed a chance, you know, with his right foot. Neymar basically missed a good chance that you you would think he would score. Mbappe missed a couple that he should have put in the back of the net. So to me, I, I felt like honestly it was a little bit more of the pressure because I think for the most part, I thought PSG played pretty well, especially, I'm not even going to say this because he's a former Manchester United player, but I thought Ander Herrera was one of their better performing midfielders of that first half or before he got subbed off. Mm-hmm. I mean, he completed a lot of passes. I mean, he set up that Mbappe chance in the first half, I believe, and it, Mbappe most of the time would have finished it, but he didn't. Um, so... I don't know. I thought PSG played really well for the most part, but their their attacking talent that they paid millions of dollars for just let them down completely. Yeah, they had a lot of veterans too that yeah. were in the situation with you know Di Maria, Navas. Navas. This is not their last or not their first Champions League final. Yeah, and you know Thiago Silva, Neymar, like they've been in big competitions for a long time now, but it's just something about PSG was just off. It just it just seemed like this was like their first time, which it was. It was like their first time as a team in a big European competition final like this. And also for Tuchel as well, he hasn't really been this far in a competition. As, But I mean, if you look at the other side, Hansi Flick for Bayern Munich, this is kind of his first rodeo too, but he just looked like they were so much more prepared. While mm-hmm. PSG, they had a lot of good chances. Like it's just, they just couldn't finish. Yeah, they just weren't expecting their chances. I feel like at times it's like, oh, like especially that one Mbappe chance where he was just at the middle of the goal box and he just had an open shot and he just scuffed. He he just did a a little like pass. It felt like roller. Yeah, like a not a P roller, but like a a little bit above that. Like yeah, 
whatever above P roller is. Like that's just a, a just not Mbappe pass. level, not an Mbappe level strike. It, it wasn't like World Cup final Mbappe. Yeah, was, let's put it that way. And that really surprised me. I was thinking in these kind of situations, those kind of world class players, those kind of elite players would turn up, but yeah. every player in PSG besides. I would say Thiago Silva. Thiago Silva is their best player. I felt like that game. Mm. They just weren't ready. And then Marquinhos too. He did a pretty good job covering for uh, Kerr, who just kept getting wrecked on the right side of yeah. the defense. But I feel like besides Navas, you know, Marquinhos, and I'd say under Hera did have a good game too. And then Thiago Silva, it was just their attack just couldn't finish. And that was the biggest downfall. And mm-hmm. it was really surprising to me because I was thinking one zero for a Champions League final like this. That's really surprising for a PSG team to get shut out. Yeah, PSG team that's known for their attacking, that pays mm-hmm. for their attack. And I will point this out for, I guess, our last topic with Bayern and PSG. The PSG or the Bayern lineup was $100 million less than the PSG lineup. And... I know a lot of people were vo- going for PS or going for Bayern Munich who were, you know, they weren't really Bayern Munich fans. They just went for B- Bayern Munich because they basically play, not play football the right way. It's more about how they use the board and how they use their finances. Because if you look at Bayern Munich's team, most of their team is actually, a lot of their players are just free transfers, loan ins, or grabbing them off good deals from other teams. And I know a lot of people make the, joke that they just buy every good Bundesliga player that's not from that doesn't go to Bayern they just buy them and that's true but you have to say you have to give them credit for picking up players like Lewandowski on a free transfer they picked up Gutso wasn't on like a, almost a free transfer at that point yeah or like it was a, a very pretty good deal. deal and then um, I mean you see uh, Nabry was, yeah Nabry <laughs> was on a cheaper deal I think Coleman was a swap for Vidal right or something like that um, not a, not with Vidal, but it was sort of a cheaper deal. They or it was a swap with Douglas Costa, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and they picked up Davies on a pretty, um, pretty good transfer as well. Um, so, generally speaking, Bayern Munich always buy. You know, they have such a good, talented squad, but they make the right decisions in the transfer market. They know when to buy players. They know how to evaluate players. They know when the right time to go in and purchase them. And I think it's a good model that a lot of big teams should start to follow because Bayern Munich aren't putting themselves in a big financial hole all the time because they're not spending for like 200 million on an attacker or a hundred million on an attacker consistently. They just go in and buy players on the cheap on buy players on deals. And it finally worked out for them. So I, I have to give kudos to Bayern because, you know, in this age of every club having a ton of money now, it's very easy for clubs to kind of go in and buy Every big player there is for 100 million, 150 million, 80 million, 90 million. But Bayern have stayed steady and just done their same business of picking up players on expiring deals, picking up players on the cheap. So I, I, I was happy that Bayern won because I think it showed that you don't have to be PSG and have all this oil money to be successful. If you do things the right way, you'll eventually win. Yeah. And to add on to what you're saying, Yash, on top of Bayern's good deals, they also have a really good academy where they brought up yeah. certain players like Thomas Muller and Joshua Kimmich. Like Schweinsteiger, right? Hmm? Schweinsteiger, Lom, right? Or part oh, of yeah, that? as well. Dude, Lom's been there for, geez. If you remember yeah. Philip Lom, you. <laughs> OG. <laughs> Holy cow, OG. But yeah, definitely Philip Lom, who was eventually replaced by Joshua Kimmich, I believe. Yeah, I guess in this scenario. If you play just right back, but yeah, on top of that, 
I'm just thinking this game, a lot of my friends were looking at this game as kind of like oil money, just paying to win versus kind of developing the proper way, just more pure football where it's like this is the, the right way to do it where you kind of develop yeah. players but also get players on a good deal and kind of stay within financial fair play but psg mm-hmm. is always known for having the psg with the dollar sign and as the s where yes. they just, just go in and just kind of break the transfer market go crazy where, where like neymar i remember was just an insane number 220 so was, mil right mm-hmm, 220 mil and before back in the days i remember 50 million was a crazy yeah, number. Like, went for seventy, I think, or sixty mm-hmm. million, and that I was, was like, geez, I thought that would break the market, but two hundred twenty for Neymar, and then hundred seventy for Mbappe. I was just like, how? How are they? How are they doing this? <laughs> Financial fair play. So, it like all of these kind of moves, I feel like, are the reason why, on top of some moves from like say City, Barcelona, Real Madrid, you know, even Liverpool at times have kind of broken this transfer like fluctuation and inflation but i'd say psg was the worst of them all and Mm -hmm. just they really were just like a pay-to-win team like when you play a video game that person who comes in with like a five thousand dollar team for a sixty dollar video game it's like all right yeah (laughs) (laughs) and psg is the equivalent of that so Mm -hmm. i feel like all of like at least our friends that we've been talking to it felt like if PSG were to win, it's kind of like pay to win what would win the Champions League this year. But yeah, that's why a lot of people were rooting for Byron to win. And that's why a lot of, you know, random fans of just not even league of teams, they just don't like PSG. It's just mm-hmm. they just have this kind of aura about them where it's just like, all right, it's just all money. And that's mm-hmm. why when we we mentioned players like Neymar and Di Maria and Kaylor Navas, it's like, oh, they're just there for the money. It's like they're not even there for the club. So it's it's kind yeah. of tough because there's certain players on that team that I really like, like Mbappe. I really like Mbappe. Yeah. So but as like a team overall, it's like I can't I can't be a supporter of that team. I can't if if it's like a neutral game like this final, I have to support the other team and that'd be Byron. Yeah. So I'm glad Byron won. Long story short. Yeah. That, that's basically the long like, story short. And- <laughs> long story short. I'm glad Byron won because that yes. I feel like that really tells a good message or it's like if you do it a more moral way, like a good proper way, then mm-hmm. you will ultimately get the win. Cause like they they had the right mindset going into this game. They had the right mindset during the game for Byron and yeah. Like ultimately, it's just a good story coming out of it. Yeah, and I, I also this is my last thing with them. I will say, when you do it that way, you kind of build a good team culture and a good, basically, an environment where you know whenever things go bad, no one starts pointing fingers. Everyone has accountability because that's like culture that they kind of bring. And it's pretty interesting because a team such as Liverpool have been doing it sort of the same way as well, such as Bayern. Of I know they broke the record with you know buying Van Dyke and such, but in general, it's not like they have gone out and bought 180 million Mbappe or 220 million Neymar. They've slowly and slowly built up a squad and built up a culture, and that allowed them to win the Champions League. And the same with Bayern, who couldn't really get off the semifinal hump, but they finally did, and they won the Champions League again. But um, we're switching gears to the kings of Europa League, Sevilla beating Inter Milan 3-2. Um, I will say this, uh, Lopetegui has to be probably the most nervous looking managers on the sidelines of all time. <laughs> that dude literally looks like he like robbed a bank and he's getting interrogated. 
He looks sloppy. It's just yeah, like it's, it, it, he's he biting like his nails. Up his collared shirt. It's he's just biting like his that nails. Good. Yeah, biting his nails. Like his hair is not really fixed, but somehow, some way, it's just some. Sometimes that kind of it doesn't really matter what someone looks like. It's just like if they can do the job, mm-hmm. you know, they can win you some big things. And that's kind of like how it is real life of work sometimes too. It's like how did that guy get into this office? And he's like, oh, holy cow! And you just realize he's like a beast, or she's like insane at mm-hmm. what she does. Yeah, you know it. it that's how it is sometimes for uh for soccer too and then you see like the other side with antonio conte he has a lot of pedigree with him with chelsea and then like lopetegui going into that game he's like man he just got sacked from real madrid yes so this game was like a like some contrasting kind of notions but i would say inter were the favorites in my opinion going into this final and then mm-hmm. Sevilla somehow got through Manchester United. I feel like I was just I was a little surprised yeah. by that because I was like, oh, I don't really think of that many star players on the Sevilla team. And Campos man went off, and yeah, so Campos go off. Young. And then Luke De Jong of all yeah. people who didn't score in eight games prior, I believe, to the semifinals, yeah, just went off. Scores the winner, and then he scores in the final too. So. I mean, that goes to show some, t- some people are just clutch gameplay winners. Mm-hmm. And Sevilla won, I believe, their sixth Europa League in this yeah, century. Most, most, in, most of any European team. Like, that's insane. For, for a team to win six of one any European trophy, competition, that's crazy. Within one century. And the century's wow. only been 20 years. Like, that's, wow. that's incredible. Yeah. Yeah, like, I think it was... Um, I don't have much to say because it's just a great achievement. I think whenever Sevilla's in the Europa League, you can pretty much shoehorn shoehorn them in into the final, semifinal, and win it basically. So um, like, it doesn't make sense sometimes. It's like yeah. they just won just because they're Sevilla. Yeah, I, I mean, feel like that's just had, what happened. It, exactly. So I, I I don't understand how they're able to do it every season. It's just it's fascinating to say the least. But they they deserve it. Congrats to them. I I really didn't have much to say about the Europa League because. Um, I was in a meeting half the time when the game was going on, so I couldn't really watch it, and yeah. I had really no intention to rewatch a Europa League final. <laughs> you rip having the Europa League final be on a Friday, on Friday. at three PM. It was ah, that's why no one's watching the Europa League. Why is it on Fridays? <laughs> the final is at a Friday at three PM during. I was in a meeting as well during this, and I was watching the game, and I saw the final goal with Diego Carlos uh, with a bicycle kick. Hitting Lukaku it into goal. Lukaku with an own goal, ultimately. Um, that was in in my meeting. I was just sitting there like, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was talking literally, and then when I saw that, I just stopped and I just lost my train of thought. And I was like, that just happened. So we about to win the Europa League again, and then they won. And I was just thinking, holy cow! <laughs> exactly. So, I uh. mean, at least if you are at work and then you don't have much to do. It works out, but I guess for me and Yush, usually we're a little busy at work. But if you say, you know, at like a library or actually it'd be kind of hard to watch at a library or like, you know, some random desk job where you're, you're doing, you know, not too much interaction with any, anyone else. You're just kind of by yourself. Yeah, you can just kind of works out. In. But if you're like in constant communication with people, it's a little harder to watch these games. But yeah. that's just I feel like that's my take. But man. I feel like yeah. this is a really good final. It's just, it just went under the radar. <laughs> exactly. I think it was just a European football fatigue off everyone's mm-hmm. mind. Um, exactly. But switching over to transfer news, there's some quick things. I, first of all, 
it has almost been an entire month since the transfer window has been open and three Premier League clubs have yet to sign anyone. I'm talking Wolverhampton Wolves, Manchester United, and Leicester City have not signed anyone in the transfer window, which is amazing to say the least and quite fascinating. But quickly going into a a team that has just been going off in the transfer window, I would say probably if they get everyone that we're reporting, and it looks like they will because the reporter we are going off of is super reliable, they probably... I'm going to just say this. They might literally have the best transfer window of all time. Um, Chelsea. Chelsea have now basically Fabrizio Romano has confirmed that the deal for Kai Havertz to Chelsea is done and Thiago Silva to Chelsea is done. And Chelsea are trying to figure out a way where they can loan to Mori and Emerson to get Ben Shilwell to sign him on a full-time contract. My goodness. If they go, if Chelsea fans, if you literally get out of this window and you've signed Timo Werner, Ziyech, Kai Havertz, Thiago Silva, and Ben Shilwell, that's five players. That's five game-changing players. And I think if they actually do that, I, I don't know. I always said that Chelsea needed to focus on the defense, but if they get Ben Shilwell, I know Thiago Silva is 36, but we saw in the Champions League final that he is still a pretty quality center back compared to most. I mean, especially what Chelsea have right now. Yeah, exactly. A much bigger upgrade than whatever they have. I, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't know how they have all this money. I don't know if it's because the they never they didn't get a chance to buy anyone in the previous window because of the transfer ban. Maybe Abramovich has this extra lump of cash, but it, it's get, it's getting kind of scary. This almost feels like Chelsea have turned into the PSG of the Premier League at this rate because they, at this point, it feels like they have unlimited money. <laughs> it's just it's crazy i i don't know i don't know if you agree with me it feels like they've literally turned into the psg of the premier league i don't think it's that insane yet because as if you still look back at it it's like say ziek was still a pretty good deal like under 50 mil warner was 50 mil or 50 million pounds and when, when we speak in these kind of terms and then mm-hmm. Kai Havertz is going to be 100 and it's still cheaper than Neymar. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time too, going through, if you think about it from last year, if they didn't spend the money, how much would they have to bring over? And then like, I guess you just spend it all at once now. But at the same time, since we're in this kind of financial crisis across the globe, most teams don't have as much money. I feel like, but I feel like certain teams like Chelsea, they're still kind of flexing their muscles as if there's no kind of disruption in the world. It's as if it's like, oh, it's just smooth sailing. And you kind of see that with Manchester City too, spending 40 million on Nathan Ake, Ake. and then another 24 on Florent Torres. But I mean, for Chelsea to spend this much, that's pretty it's incredible. It's, and and D- for Kai Havertz, 100 million. Yeah, and Thiago Silva's a free deal, but he's not going to be on a cheap contract. That that's man's going to want at least 200K. At least 200K. That's a lot of money. And um, also, yeah, he's coming from PSG, so he's probably making yeah. bank. And I don't think he would probably and settle for ben a Shilwell, lower. I think the figure's going around 50 mil, 50 million pounds. So 50 mil for Ben Chilwell. Yes, that's a, that's a reported figure around that figure. I'm not surprised, but at the same time, now I'm a little concerned with how how is Chelsea getting all this money? Unless Roman Abramovich during that year where he couldn't buy any any players, he just put all of his money into Tesla stock, and then the <laughs> Tesla stocks have gone up. I don't want to turn this money into out. a stock <laughs> into a stock episode, but holy cow! 
Yeah, that's like the only way I can think is like, how does he have all this money and still have it be financial fair play? Yeah. I think a lot of uh, a lot of Chelsea fans I've been seeing have been saying, oh, the reason we're having this money is also because we didn't get to buy anyone. But the Hazard deal and the Morata deal have basically funded all these all these signings, which I guess is true. Mm -hmm. But I mean, gosh, I don't know. With these signings, I'm kind of scared. I actually feel like they could they could legitimately challenge for the title with City and Liverpool. I feel like. I don't know if they'll win it, but I actually feel like it will be a much more of a challenge. It will be almost like a three-horse race at this point, the way they're going. I think it will really depend on their defense because they conceded yeah. the most goals of the top six last season. So, Man, this attack, though. Yeah, Ooh. this attack is insane. But, I, I mean, if you watch Liverpool just like a couple seasons ago where before Van Dyke, they would score so many goals, but concede so many, and then mm-hmm. that'd be their ultimate downfall. So I, I think Chelsea, they there would be a lot more competitive this upcoming season. But also at the same time, these are supposedly three new players coming into the starting eleven. It's, they don't have much chemistry yet. They don't have yes. much playing time together. So I think that would be a bigger factor too, because in you know, clutch time is like who who do they know to rely on? But besides themselves, and then <laughs> you know. I, I feel like when you have that synergy where you don't even have to speak sometimes and he's just like, all right, I just, I don't know, pass it to Mane and then Salah and Firmino's like, all right, done. But mm-hmm. then at this point, it's like, kind of have going to be like, am I just going to have to beat everyone like on the dribble and then go by myself while runners making a run? I don't know. It's yeah. just literally they're at to figure out how e- each other play. And I think that'll take a few, a couple of seasons at least. And yeah. I think Chelsea are known to win trophies like that's what they do regardless of the manager but this is a very peculiar situation that they're in now since they brought in Lampard and then I feel like the culture slightly changed because you know I feel like Lampard would be more nurturing of the academy products and he was kind of forced into it but now he kind of he did more than was expected is what I would say the general consensus is because it's like, oh, he had really no expectations this last season. And then sure enough, he gets Champions League, gets fourth place, mm-hmm. does pretty well in the Champions League. He gets beaten by Bayern Munich, but they were the champions of the whole competition. Yeah. And now he's brought in all these players. The expectations for now for Lampard are definitely much higher. And I feel like he definitely has to win something now this upcoming season. There's definitely expectations. So no I don't know now. how they're going to with this squad. Yeah, I don't know what the ex. I don't know how they're going to handle this pressure because now there is a pressure as opposed to last season. It was there was no pressure, so yeah. that that will be a a factor, and oh, they're man. not going to have the fans to really cheer them on. And I think that will usually that could help players. Yeah, I feel like you know, kind of get over certain humps, but now it'll kind of be more mental. So I yeah, mean, there's a lot of these little factors. We can go on and on about little factors, but I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, it's that insane. Chelsea, are insane but it's like yeah. can they really live up to the potential i, feel I like. don't know i don't know man but it's as a, as a rival fan and even as you as a rival fan you got to be a little like gosh so jealous yeah and then they still have pulisic <laughs> yeah they have literally the captain america so they they're captain literally pulling in. About to go off oh they're, they're just pulling in so much commercial money right mm-hmm. now the only but, bad thing is just their jerseys look ugh. yeah jerseys <laughs> are hideous but they got the players to make up yeah. for it but it, I like I mentioned before, the three Premier League clubs that have not signed anyone are Wolves, Manchester United, and Leicester. And I will say this: for all three teams, I'm very worried. As a Manchester United fan, I'm very worried going into this new season because 
we've seen with the likes of Tottenham, when you don't buy players or you don't try to reinvent your squad or add some depth or really just buy a game changer here and there, you see that the club will kind of deteriorate. The players will kind of get out of form. The players will get a little lethargic, a little bit complacent. And um, for all three of these clubs, I'm a little worried. And especially a club like Wolves, who I feel like in recent seasons have really made um, their transfers. They've really completed them really fast, really early in the window. So it's surprising that Wolves haven't went out and purchased anyone, but they are in talks with Arsenal to get Ainsley Maitland, Ainsley Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Can't say his name, but (laughs) they are in talks to get him. I think he'll be a pretty decent signing. And for Leicester, they officially announced the contract extension for James Madison. Um, So with that, I feel like Madison is basically off the market, which is good for them. They could get to keep him for another season, but especially for Manchester United and Leicester City, clubs that have that are trying to ambition for more and going into next season, it is it's a bit of a worrying time, I would say. And for for me, it's a little frustrating um, to be a Manchester United fan because sure they are trying to go all in for Sancho, but you you know sure okay like let's say if it's it's impossible to get a game changing world class signing this summer. The most that United board can do is kind of fill out the squad and add more depth here and there. Because right now, the Manchester United squad does not have a lot of depth. It's the starting 11 and then a bunch of other average Joes, basically, on the bench. Average Joes. Guys that you can't really trust on or rely on to be in the starting 11. So I wanted to know, I was curious, has Liverpool ever gone a period of time where they just haven't signed anyone in the summer transfer window? Usually, or, uh, Liverpool don't sign anyone in the winter transfer window. Okay. Um, Especially under Klopp. But in the summer transfer windows, Liverpool has been, uh, under at least Klopp's era, they've been about, very quiet. Even back in the day, back in the day when you first started watching. With Brendan like, Rodgers and, you know, Kenny Dalglish, Roy Hodgson, they, there is, it was usually a lot louder. And when I say like quiet transfer window, I mean like, when you would hear of a player like Andy Carroll or Luis Suarez, it'd be like a lot of rumors leading up to it and then it would happen. But under Klopp, I feel like there's so many random surprises for transfers. Like Fabinho literally came out of nowhere. I was just mm-hmm. I was just on Twitter one day and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, Liverpool bought Fabinho. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, holy cow. And then uh, yeah. another one, like just literally just a couple of weeks ago, we got... Uh, some some Mick Samakas, or yeah, the yeah. Greek left back. I still can't pronounce his name, mm-hmm. but it's just all these. And then like Minamino too, like one of my yeah. new favorite players. He just came out of nowhere as well. So I feel like Liverpool are a lot more quiet in terms of their, I would say, publicity of these transfers. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Maybe United might be behind the scenes trying to make some moves, but getting David Brooks. Let's yeah, getting go, David <laughs> Brooks or Daniel Brooks uh, from uh. Yeah, Bournemouth. I mean, now, his his buddy uh, Ramsdale has gone to Sheffield United. So yeah, I mean, it's not. And then Ake's left too to Man City. So it's not too crazy for more. All, all the good players, players from Bournemouth are just dipping out. That'd be Peace so out. sad, though. Gosh, <laughs> but, but I I will back say to this: this um, I, um, it's I frustrating as a Manchester United fan because mm-hmm. I see all these other clubs, and it's every transfer window with Manchester United. They take forever to sign someone. I think I've ranted on this before, but I'll say this again. <laughs> they take forever to sign anyone. Last summer, they literally had to send, they had to go through 86 right backs, I believe, until they picked Aaron Juan Basaka. Why would it why would you need to go through 86 different right backs? You, we 
it was just obvious that Aaron Wan-Bissaka was the best right back or one of the best right backs in the Premier League. You go out I and can't buy even him. Name eighty six right backs <laughs> exactly. And then Harry Maguire. Why did Harry Maguire take the entire summer window? It was the whole thing. Oh, United don't want to pay the full eighty mil for Maguire. They don't want to do it. They don't want to do it. And guess what happened? They ended up paying the full price for him. And I don't know. I feel like Ed Woodward, who's a chief manager who handles all the transfer business. I've he, I, I feel like in his head, he thinks that he's this extravagant, savvy football um, transfer guru where he can kind of work the market. But he ends up just getting played all the time. That's what, that's literally what happens all the time. And it's so frustrating because United don't go in and buy players really fast. And that ends up hurting the team chemistry in the team because now you put Ole Gunnar Solskjaer against the ropes because now if he gets a player in October... He's basically going to have to assimilate him and get him adjusted to his new teammates, his new play style. And it's going to take at least a month or so to get adjusted to everything. And it's frustrating because they're doing the same thing that they did with Jose Mourinho in his last season where they weren't giving him the funds or they weren't purchasing the players that he needed to advance the squad. And Solskjaer is getting the same treatment. And it's frustrating because... You've seen that the starting 11, it's a good starting 11, but they can't rely on anyone on the bench. So they're just going to get worn out. And there's really not a lot of competition for places because everyone in that starting 11 is pretty much guaranteed that spot because no one else on the bench is that good enough to take over them. So I, I don't know. I'm just very, (laughs) as a Manchester United, I'm I'm very sad and frustrated at the club right now because it's, I don't know. It's just, uh, I'm just baffled by how inept the board is um, when it comes to doing transfer dealings. I also <laughs> hate to say, Yosh, but also your captain's in jail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Harry, Harry Maguire's in jail. jail right now. So you're going to do you guys are you going to get him out or do you have to find another center back? So I think them? right now he is um, he's back in England and I think he has to get retrialed maybe in a couple months or so. And his lawyer has been just saying he's a free man. But I've been hearing the story was apparently that a bunch of the Greek, um, uh, some Greek people, and I think even the police officers were basically enticing him by just saying F United, F United, F United. And apparently someone stabbed his girlfriend or his sister. So that's what enticed McGuire to punch the cop because the cop wasn't really helping the victim. Um, it was. It's a pretty crazy story. I don't know what's true or what's not. So don't quote me on you know, don't quote me as the guy that was there firsthand. I don't know what's true or what's not, but that's kind of been what's been thrown out there. So I don't know. I don't know. I initially, I was very upset with Maguire, but if it was one of those reasons where literally his family member or his like spouse got stabbed, then it's like, okay, you know, you mm-hmm. have to defend them if like something bad like that happens, you know? Yeah. But so as of now, I, it's just all speculation. We have no idea. Exactly. And then Victor Lindelof actually was played superhero, saved uh, a 90 year old grandma's purse in manchester or wherever he was no, it was in sweden yeah yeah was, he literally chased down Swedish the robber mugger yeah literally chased him down and grabbed the purse from him so and then i, I think lindelof held him um yeah held, held him, him down, down until knee. the cops did show up so yeah look at that lindelof actually pulling superhero moves in sweden jeez <laughs> Who'd have thought? i thought uh, i thought the scandinavians were nice people <laughs> I didn't know there's crime like this, especially when Lindelof's man. walking around. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on the, out, out there. And he's out here mugging 90 year old ladies. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Uh, but I don't know. I, 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 I'm just, 
I don't know. I don't want to sound like a dead horse, but man, I'm just super annoyed with the way United have done this transfer business. I pretty much the whole entire this the entire time this podcast ex- has existed, I feel like I've been ranting about how bad the board is for Manchester United. And the annoying thing is they're gonna make I feel like what's gonna happen, they might make one or two good signings, and then all of a sudden the whispers will go away until they need the money to invest in the squad again. They won't do it because the owners are greedy. You know, Edward doesn't really know what he's doing in terms of buying players. So it's the same problems that keep repeating, but no one ends up fixing them. So uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's also, I, I guess I must be a little sad too, seeing Chelsea snag all these players and United <laughs> are just like, they're just literally playing like a, with a stick. Like I'm just telling them to do something. <laughs> I, w- I will say Manchester United and you ranting on them is a recurring theme. But- yes. Hopefully there will be a golden sky eventually for you. <laughs> I will day. say the only good thing is now no one can really clown us for spending money at this time because we're not spending any money. Yeah, now you're just being clowned for not spending money. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lose-lose. <laughs> yeah, you can't win. But at least, at least it, it'll be nice because it's not like, oh, United are buying $150 million players when everyone else is struggling. Uh, oh, don't say that. Like, yeah, we still got a couple more months in this uh, transfer window at least. So. I mean, who do you think they're actually going to buy, though? I don't know. Maybe they'll be like Arsenal and buy Gabriel. Oh, my gosh. Jeez. Still well, don't really good... know too much about him. He's from Lille, is yeah. what I know, but he's their next main signing. Yeah, five five year deal. But I will say this: a lot of big clubs were after him. He had a pretty good season at Lyon, so um, this kind of could this could be that new center back, that new rock in um, Arteta's system that every good team has. That rock at center back, man, that rock with David Luiz. Socrates and Mustafi. That's going to be very interesting. I guess Cha- Callum Chambers and Rob Holding as well, but it's going to be very interesting to see if he turns out to be as a typical Arsenal center back or he'd be different. The only thing I that know, I concerns me. I, I kind of have high hopes because I, I know Napoli were very interested in him because mm-hmm. of the Koulibaly situation, but Arsenal ended up snagging him. And I don't know. I feel like, I, I have I have good hopes. I have good I have good vibes around Gabriel. I think you have he good might vibes actually Gabriel. The I, only I thing like, that concerns me is just his pace. Because yeah. he is not known as a very fast player. And I feel mm-hmm. like the only time he can overcome not having certain athletic quality, like speed, is if you have the very right mental Yeah, the right and yeah, if you're intelligent enough to be in the right spot at the right times at all times. Yeah. Because like we're starting to see it now where like Sometimes you need that pace, and we saw that in the Champions League final. Like Kira just got wrecked by Coman, or he needs mm-hmm. a, like a partner that can back him up if you know cert- certain situations. But hopefully, Gabriel can assimilate to Arteta's system in a certain way where he can kind of shroud his weaknesses and kind of mm-hmm. accentuate his core strengths. Because you know, as you just mentioned, he is being sought after by a lot of different Premier League yeah. clubs, but. Ultimately, chose Chelsea or Arsenal. So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting. I don't really know too much about him, to be honest. Yeah. So he's kind of like Pablo Mari, where he just kind of came out of nowhere. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I'm, we'll see. I know Aubameyang, I believe, is rumored to signing his new deal. So Arsenal, that's a pretty good transfer window. I mean, if they get one or two more players, um, they're heading in the right direction, especially after the FA Cup win. So I'm excited to see where Arsenal go, but. This kind of gives us a transition into 
um, not even a segment, but just kind of an update on where we are at with the podcast. As you may notice, we haven't been uploading consistently on Fridays as we normally do. That's because um, more to the fact that I recently started my job and my schedule has not been all over the place, but I'm still kind of getting adjusted in terms of the different schedules that I've been given. So Tyler and I have just kind of have to have been working around that. And a lot of times it's just random days like this or random weekends. And um, so we that's why this the episodes haven't been coming out on those days, but they're coming out. We're, we're still having the plan of making them come out weekly. It's just more of the, it could come on a Monday, it could come on a Friday, a Wednesday, maybe a weekend. We hopefully don't want to keep it too much in the limbo of like a random days, but our goal is to still keep it a, a weekly podcast. That's kind of what we've been doing and that's what we want to continue to do. But this, um, uh, we wanted to say that we'll be, we will be taking a two week break um, just to get everything settled schedule wise and also kind of give us a chance to refresh and give us a little bit of a break that all the other Premier League players have been given. Um, <laughs> give us a little bit of a break after covering the season, but no, um, giving us a break to kind of recuperate, um, get some things handled on the back end side of the podcast, more the business stuff, and really just um, come up with some fresh ideas and just be re-energized. Um, not to say we're burnt out or anything, but just get re-energized for the new season that's coming up because it's coming up soon and we just want to make sure we're at the peak of our powers, I would say. Mm-hmm. And also, as just to reiterate, it's just... A good time to take a break since you know as the Premier League players are taking the break to be a good time because I don't think we've taken a break since March. So yeah, we've, just, we've been we going strong. Trucking. Yeah. And since Yash is starting this new kind of work lifestyle, it'd be a good opportunity to kind of adjust and kind of figure out what our future schedules will be so that we don't have to be as sporadic when it comes to releasing yeah. the podcast. So I know for Yash, just to kind of give you guys some background. It, it his schedule could be like nine to five or like four to 12 and yeah. he doesn't really know the schedule to like a couple weeks before mm-hmm. so if we can figure out a system to make sure we can record ahead of time and then kind of figure out when to release the episode then i think that'd be good to go but we're gonna be mm-hmm. figuring out all these kind of logistical things behind the scenes for these next two weeks and then coming up with some new ideas so we'll be back with some big things yes we'll just i'm be excited taking a short break I'm excited. The breaks always help because they help us get energized and get us going. But mm-hmm. especially when we come back from this break, you know, we're going to have a preview episode. Obviously, it's a tradition to have the preview episode before the new season. But as you, as Tyler said, we're super excited to, um, you know, take a break, get get re-energized, get recharged up and um, really look forward to the next season. But I want to quickly say um, that we really appreciate all the support and all the uh, kind words that have been thrown our way on Twitter and everywhere. I know we haven't been super active on Twitter lately, just again with the whole job thing getting adjusted and such, but we definitely do see those messages and those notifications. So shout out to all you guys. But yeah, that was a, that kind of wraps up episode 87 for us. Please make sure to um, give us a rating, uh, comment and subscribe. Um, if you're on iTunes, especially on Apple Podcasts, if you can give us a rating on there. Um, it really boosts our chances of rating and review of getting seen by other people. And then on YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, and especially on Twitter and Instagram, if you ever want to reach out to us um, at the Premier Pod, send us any questions or just any interactions, send them our way, and we'll definitely reply back and get a conversation going. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. That kind of does it for us in this episode. Peace. Peace. <laughs>